Well, good morning. Glad you decided to come this morning. But let me ask you, did you decide that or did somebody else help you decide that? Uh, yeah, yeah, I appreciate that honesty. Somebody else, uh, kids, parents, whoever else, somebody, somebody dragged us along. We're glad you're here all the same. Uh, some of y'all, I noticed, come in, some of y'all look pretty spiffy this morning. Uh, did you choose that outfit or did somebody else help you choose that outfit? You know, whenever I get complimented on what I wear, it's because you can bet that either Teresa or my kids, especially my, well, my sons, their daughters, dressed me. They helped me understand. And it's not that I'm, I'm colorblind or anything. I just think this whole matching thing is kind of overrated. We don't need all about that. I like to dress in early American Kmart. It's kind of my, my thing. And so I'm, I'm all right with that. Uh, you know, the decisions are, are, are huge. What are you going to do when you leave today? Lots of decisions even today. I don't know if you've thought about this yet. Uh, so I've, now that I've said that, you're going to be thinking, all right, where are we going to go? What are you going to do when we get done today? Are you going to go out to eat? If so, where? Are you going to go to Wegmans and just get something? Oh, okay, well, if you get to Wegmans, you, you realize you have multiple decisions to make. You take the little cart or you take the big honking cart. and You just get enough for today or do you get enough for the whole week? And then you go out all the aisles, 80 gazillion trillion decisions, right, to figure out what you're going to put in the cart. And then once you get it filled, you have to decide what checkout line you've got to get into. And then after you've chosen the wrong checkout line, you've got to choose your attitude, decide what kind of attitude you have. And this afternoon... I hope you're not terribly anxious, but you've got a lot of decisions to make this afternoon. Are you going to watch the game? Which one? Maybe forget that. Maybe play a game with the kids or the grandkids. Maybe you need to waste more time on social media. Maybe you need to clean out the garage or run an errand or read a book or take a nap. That's my vote. I mean, that's what you need to do. Uh, from the time, if you think about this, from the time you get up, you decide to get up in the morning, if you decide, from that to the time you decide to go to bed at night, your life is just filled. It's like all decisions. You know, what do you say to so-and-so and how do you deal this thing with your kid or your friend or your, your spouse and where should you go and when should you get there and how should you get there and how should you dress to get there and on and on, just decisions. Most of them we don't put a whole lot of stock in because reality is if you choose the wrong restaurant and what you get is cold and it's bland, it's, dinner will be here in a few hours, not a big deal, right? But there are other decisions, like if you choose the wrong person to marry, not as easy to get out of. There are some biggies that we face in in life. Some of them we might look for. Others come looking for us. Sometimes we're just in the wrong place or the right place at the wrong or right time. And we are called upon to make the decision. And so we we have to, to... Pull it together. These are the things that scare us. And we pray, oh, God, if you just give me a burning bush or something, I'll do whatever if I know what it is you want me to do. If you ever prayed this prayer, I prayed this prayer often. Uh, God doesn't always work that way. And time has come and we still have to make the decision. Now, now uh, Solomon knows that his boy, Rehoboam, is going to be the next king. He's going to have to make a lot of decisions. He, he knows this. And so he addresses this whole idea, how to make the, the decisions, the biggies in your life. And he gives us some, some insight that is uh, fascinating. We're going to unpack this, this morning. But I think he starts off with this, this idea. And that, that is uh, Rehoboam, you know, his boy, son, crown prince. You're going to be king. And when you make decisions as a king, you just got to keep in mind 
they, they're going to impact a lot of people's lives. I mean, it's going to influence a lot. Folk are going to flourish and enjoy life or not so much based on the decisions you make. And he said, before you have to make these decisions, you need to understand the weight and the gravity of them. Now, we may not be the next king, but reality is, the biggie decisions we make anyway are going to impact a lot, a lot of people. My, uh, I got a friend, Chris Bronze, he wrote a book, Unpacking Forgiveness. It's a good, good book if you want to, uh, we're looking for a good book to read. And he uses a, an illustration there. Let me tweak it a little bit. But let me say, let's say, just pretend with me. We brought up a guy here on the platform. He's uh, 17 years old. We're going to call him Fred. He is 6'3", about 270 pounds. He's just a big guy, right? And, and, and this is a cliff. And Fred says, you know what, I'm 17 and no one can tell me anything because I've got it figured out and my life is, is my responsibility and I'm just going to jump off this cliff. Go ahead and try to stop me. Hey, I'm going to do this because I can, because I know what's best and I'm going, I'm going to jump off the cliff and my life is my life. And we might look at him and say, you know, Fred, there might have been a day we could try to stop you, but we can't stop you. If you want to jump off the cliff, you can jump off the cliff. We would advise not, but if you do, you do. But there's just something you, you need to, to keep in mind. And we'll tie a rope around Fred's waist and we'll go to the other end of it and tie it around the waist of his 50-pound kid sister. Excuse me. And ju- just to let him know that, that when you jump, Fred, there are people tied to you. You're bringing them with you. And, and, and the rope also is going to connect to your parents. And so when you, when you jump, and maybe some friends, just know that, that whenever you, you, the decisions you make will impact other people. They just will. You might wish that it wasn't that way. It is that way. I've got friends there, just turned 70, and because of some goofy stuff with their kids, my 70-year-old friends find themselves raising 24-7 two little children, twins, who are special needs. And this is what they will be doing. Don't think that the decisions you make are just yours. Oh, no, no. And even if they're not tied to somebody physically like this, you need to know that the hearts of many people are tied to the decisions you make. And it's a big thing. And so when you decide you're going off, you're going to bring a lot of people with you. Hearts will be broken. Dollars will be spent. Other people's lives will be altered. And Solomon knows Rehoboam is king, especially. You're going to make some calls. You better realize the weight of the decisions you make. And I think that's why he starts giving him some, some advice on making big decisions. We see the first one. Go for it. Proverbs eleven fourteen, Where there is no guidance, a people fails or falls, but in abundance of counselors, there is safety. Now notice just a couple things in that. The abundance of counselors, right? And then you might want in your mind, Circle that safety word. You like safety? We like safety. Safety is associated here with an abundance of counselors. Meanwhile, failure is associated with, with not, no guidance. Next. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Kind of in your mind, circle that word succeed. You like success? You like it to work? Well, a success is associated with many advisors, but no advisors. Failure. 
failure. We, again, we can get tons of verses on this, right? But let me, there's a lot there. But Proverbs 24, 6, he says, For by wise guidance you can wage war. Now, there's a big decision, isn't it? I think that's going to affect a lot of people's lives. As a king, you can make that call. We're going to go to war. Oh, okay. A lot of people's lives will be affected by this one. It's going to be a big thing. And in abundance of counselors... There is victory. Sometimes we have those wage war decisions. We don't want to make those decisions. They are facing us. We've got to do something with it. You like, you like victory? You like safety? You like success? They're all associated with abundance of counselors. This is why I say this. And I think this is why Solomon is saying this. Because in the heart of, of all of us is a, a desire to not seek counsel. It's really, really what it comes down to, because we, we can figure this out ourselves. Proverbs 12, look what he says. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. He's right in his own eyes. He knows. Man, I know. I don't need to figure that. I need to talk to other people. I've got this figured out. I'm a pretty smart person. I understand the score. I got it all down. Two types of people, at least two types of people in this world. Do you understand this? There's the ready, aim, 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 aim. Double check, make sure we're ready. Aim, aim. You just hope they're going to fire somewhere down the road, right? Fire. And then you've got the ready, fire, aim people, right? You've got the two groups of people. And these folk over here, uh, we don't need anyone's counsel. We're just going to do it. But those two groups need each other so they actually get somewhere and so they don't shoot each other in the foot. So they, they, need, they need this... But our personalities work into this a little bit. we got to keep in mind also our fallenness. So this is an issue of being honest because we don't know what we don't know. We all think we got the score. We got it figured out. We can make this decision. We don't need anyone else. No, 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 no. A couple of different reasons. If you grew up in a really good family, really good family dynamic, really good church. Back, I mean, the, the, the boundaries are, are perfectly clear. You got it. You got to know, still, there's some dysfunction in there. Still, there's some brokenness in there. Still, there's some cultural stuff in there that, that has tinted your glasses. And you see life through those eyes. There's, there's limitations that you have in perspective. You, you wish you didn't, but you've got them. It's, that's, your glasses are tinted the wrong way. There is fallenness. There is sinfulness. There is baggage that you've got. There is a lack of understanding. Sometimes there's lack of skill. None of us are masters with everything, right? There's things you just don't know. And Solomon knows this. Even the king's son, Rehoboam. Educated best he can be educated. Solomon knows that many counselors are going to get you there. But you try to do this on your own, kid, you're going to fail. You're going to hurt a lot of people. So when we we face big decisions, one of the things we're, we're challenged to do is seek counsel. And, and you need to know the way this is. We need to seek wise counsel, right? A bunch of stupid counselors is not going to get you anywhere. It's not going to be helpful at all. And in the book of Proverbs especially, whenever Solomon is encouraging anyone to go after counsel, it's always, always wise counsel. Now, let's, let's get our, our, our terms correct here. What does... Solomon mean by wise counsel. Wise runs on two tracks. Wise, first of all, is uh, God perspective. 
Bible, godly. It's seeing life, seeing the situation, seeing the circumstances through God's eyes. God sees it perfectly clear. You and I got the tinted glasses on. We're broken. We, we don't see it. Our ways, right, are not God's ways. And so wise counsel is seeing it through God's eyes. But it's also, according to Proverbs, skill. It's experience. It's, it's, it's knowledge of the situation. Those, those two things make for Wise counsel. Um, there are a lot of folk in this world who want to speak into our problems. A lot of people who want to tell us what we're supposed to do. Counsel may not necessarily be real wise. Uh, just, just think of scripture for a second. Yeah, um, Go ahead, take a bite. What could it hurt? It's actually good for you. You, know, you, you must have misunderstood God. How about, how about this one? Hey, Abel, I got a great plan. Right after dinner, how about you and I go for a walk out in the, out the woods? You know, how, how, how about uh, Abraham? You know that thing we were trying to figure out? It came to me. I, I got this. Here, meet, meet Hagar. She's going to help us out a little bit. Or how about Sarah? If any of the Egyptians ask you about our relationship, you be sure and tell them you're my sister. Or how, how about, how about th- this is just the first book of the Bible. How about, um, you know that kid brother that we hate? <laughs> See those Ishmaelite traders? I think we could make ourselves some bucks here. There lots of people want to speak in to our lives. But wise counsel. Wise counsel. Biblically astute, skilled. Uh, where do you come across this? You know, one of my favorite Proverbs, Proverbs 13.20, says this. Whoever walks with the wise will be wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Just look at that text. You hang out with Someone who's wise, you're brushing shoulders with them. They have your, your ear, you're, you're, you're associating with them. Then their values, their, their understanding, their view is rubbing off. Who walks with the wise becomes wise. But a companion of fools, you hang out with somebody who doesn't care about uh, God's perspective. Maybe they're not skilled or experienced. You're setting yourself up for pain. Now, it's interesting, this, this suffers harm. That word harm is the Hebrew word for evil, right? So, so a companion of fools will suffer evil. There's going to there's be problems. The word suffer, it, it can be translated becomes. So I mean, think, think about this. perfect for this verse. He who walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will become evil. In, in other words, who, who you listen to pretty much controls you. It, it impacts your life much more than you think. Not only will there be bad stuff that happens externally, but things, bad things will happen internally. This is why, you know, blessed is he who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. It's just, it's just going to go the wrong, go the wrong way. You say, well, how do you, how do you find this wisdom? You know, I'll tell you, I was, uh, Eight or nine, I guess. Maybe I was eight. So we're 1969. Gerald and Earl and myself were the three amigos. We're the three best friends. We did everything together. We were hell-bent little vandals. Uh, so we go, we go to Iwana, though, one night. And all of us come to know Christ independently. None of us walked forward. We were all too proud even at eight to do that. But we all come to know Christ. A couple of weeks later, it comes out. And Gerald says, you know, he accepted Christ. And, and he's... 
eight years old, he's starting to follow Christ, change his life and follow after Christ. Earl, on the other hand, he's got a different philosophy. He accepted Christ too, and Jesus wants him to go to heaven, but doesn't really care how he lives down here. And so Earl's embracing that one, and he's going that way. And I'm kind of stuck in the middle. And I know Gerald's probably right, but Earl looks like he's going to have a whole lot more fun. So I'm hanging out with Earl. And Gerald quit hanging out with us, and it was us two amigo people. It was the 5th of July. Uh, 4th of July in my area in Chicago, uh, everybody shot off tons of illegal fireworks. I mean, just tons of illegal fireworks. Everybody did did this. It was everywhere. Uh, Streets, alleys, I mean, backyard, front yard. It was all over the place. Everybody did this. Well, Earl and I... The 5th of July, we get a coffee can, an empty Folgers coffee can, and, and we go to where the uh, partying was the most extensive. And, you know, I don't know if, you, if you've ever got into the fireworks thing, but sometimes if you've if you got a lot of money to burn, you, you take a whole pack of firecrackers and you kind of light them and just throw in. It's, pop, 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 pop. it's, kinda, it's cool, I guess. Uh, but a lot of the firecrackers won't blow up. They just kind of shoot off to the side. Well, those things that Earl and I were looking for, so we filled that Folgers can with, with firecrackers. Well, we, 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 I remember this was 50 years ago, right? But I am sitting on the curb in front of my house, Earl and I, with this Folgers can with, with the firecrackers. And we're taking the firecrackers out. We're putting five, we're putting ten, and we're wrapping them with a rubber band. And we're pulling the wicks out a little bit. And we're twisting them together. We're making little bombs is what we're doing. We're just thinking this is fine. We're, so we're making all these bombs. Well, suddenly this kid comes down the street on his bicycle. He's by himself, and Earl and I didn't care much for him. And Earl says, watch this. And Earl takes his punk, picks up one of the little bombs, and lights the wick and kind of waits and watches and throws it. Perf- it's perfect timing. You couldn't have got it better. So it got right about here and blew up. <laughs> this little kid is down on the ground. He's screaming. He's screaming. He's, he's, I think the thing didn't hurt him as much as it scared the tar out of him. But when he hit the ground, his legs were all bleeding. And, uh, but he, he gets up and he's crying and screaming. And he gets on his bike and he tries to drag his bike. And, and, and Earl's laughing at him. <laughs> and I'm laughing at him. <laughs> and, and this kid finally drives away. And, you know, tough neighborhood kid, you know, learn to deal with it. Uh, we stay out there for a little bit longer. And then I go and I have to go to the bathroom. So I was going, go to the bathroom. I'm coming back out, and I open the screen door to come back out front, and all of a sudden I jump back and pull the door, drop, and I kind of crawl over to the picture window and just look. And there are a couple of Chicago police cruisers, their lights flashing right in front of my house. I mean, not very far. The Chicago houses were like right next to the curb, right there. And I'm watching them take Earl and put Earl in the back seat of one of the cruisers, and I'm thinking, man, I was just out. If I was still out there, I'd be sitting right next to him. He, you know, companion of fools certainly suffers harm. I decided that day I'm going to hang out with Gerald a little bit more because he walks with the wise kind of thing. Um, this is, is, is true on all levels. When we hang out, Scripture is, is, can't be violated. When we hang out with the foolish, it impacts us externally. It, it impacts us internally. Well, you would think, wouldn't you, wouldn't you think this, that, Solomon talking to his son, Rehoboam, the crown prince, that Rehoboam gets this, that Rehoboam just is, is going to model all of you think, right? You think not so much. We'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 12. And let me give you a little background on 1 Kings chapter 12. Um, Solomon has just died, and Rehoboam is getting ready for his coronation. 
Now, uh, Israel that Solomon David built and Solomon then continued on is not only the military uh, major power of the Mediterranean world, not only is it the economic powerhouse of the military of the, of the Mediterranean world, but it is also the home for arts. It is the, the, the home. It was like the French Riviera and Disney World and Harvard kind of all wound up together. Israel had a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal uh, reputation. But you got to know, Sol- I mean, Solomon building this thing, it costs a lot of money to build this thing. And so Solomon taxed the tar out of all of his people. I mean, a major pain to build his gold houses and his chariot cities and all the fine stuff that when the Queen of Sheba came, she said, I've never seen this before. Well, that's because he's taxed the tower out of his, all of his people to get this. Not only that, but he, he, he used all of his people. He put a draft out, conscripted labor force, not just for his army, not just for his navy, but, but for all of his workers. So he took people just about probably out of every household, young folk, to work uh, almost slave labor. Um, it's not as bad as they, when they were in Egypt with the taskmasters, but, but, but Solomon was pretty grueling. Now, on top of that, now look, there's, there's, let me show you, there's a map here. On top of that, um, David and Solomon, both are from right here, Judah. Now, all of this is the, the Holy Land. When these guys got it, they divided it all up per family, per tribe, Right? But David and, and, and Solomon, they're down here, they're Judah. Well, 2 Samuel 7, God comes to David and says, David, this is the way we're going to work this whole kingdom thing. The only kings that will come out of our empire, the only kings that can, that can, that can rule our empire will be from Judah. We're not taking kings from anywhere else, just from your line, David. And, of course, he's looking forward to Jesus, who came from Judah. But, but so, so Solomon, Judah... He builds, of course, the capital is in the south. Uh, it's in Judah. The temple, of course, is in the, the south in Judah. Most of the wealth is in the south in Judah. The way it got there is because Solomon taxed all these other guys, and so they had to build, they had to bring their wealth. And so all these other guys, as you can imagine, are, are not feeling real good about Judah. We can never have a king there. The kings are going to take all of our sons and daughters and make us serve and work for for Judah. And so there's bad blood. There's bad blood. Well, well, Solomon dies. And his son, Rehoboam, is ready to be king. And you know how this works in the world. When there's a a king, in this case, is is shifting. There's a change of power. Things are really tense. And the people are ripe for for a coup. Let me introduce you to one other person. So, so Rehoboam is, is the crown prince. He's walking into this. Let me introduce you to someone called Jeroboam. I wish Jeroboam's name was Bill or something because Rehoboam, Jeroboam, it can be confusing. I, I know that. But uh, his name, all the same as Jeroboam, let's just call him Jerry. Now, Jeroboam is Jerry, is not from Judah. He's from Ephraim. But he was noticed by Solomon when Solomon was king as an incredibly wise guy. And so Solomon gets him to be in his court. And Jerry just kind of moves up the ranks in the court to the point where Jerry is over all of the conscripted labor force. And so all of the leaders of all these northern tribes who are upset a little bit at Judah, they they like Jerry. Jerry gets to know them. And, and Jerry's kind of becoming a rock star. And these people start talking, saying, we know that the kings are just supposed to come from 
Judah, but wouldn't it be nice if Jeroboam was king? And Jeroboam's aspirations are for that as well. Well, when Solomon gets that, understands that, he chases Jerry out, chases him to Egypt. And Jeroboam's just kind of hanging out in Egypt. 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 1. Rehoboam went to Shechem. Now, he, he was wise. He wasn't going to have his coronation in, in Jerusalem, in Judah, because that was, it was, it was too much tension, so he went north a little bit. For all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. And as soon as Jeroboam, the son of Nebit, heard of it, for he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon, then Jeroboam, Jerry, returned from Egypt. And they sent and called him. Who's the they? That's the leaders of all those northern tribes. They, they called him. And all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. He said to them, go away for three days, then come again. So the people went away. You, you, you see this. The, the, all these people, they pick Jeroboam as their leader. They kind of go to Rehoboam at his coronation, and they say, we're glad you're going to be our king, but we need to talk. We need to negotiate the rules here. We need to rework our contract because we think it's unfair. Your dad just beat the tar out of us, and we're not interested in living underneath that, that weight any longer. And so you need to be work with us. You need to be kind to us. You need to give us a little, pay us a little bit more, give us a little more time off, because if you don't, we're going on strike. Well, this big decision for Rehoboam, right? I mean, he already knows it's volatile. And if all of his workforce goes on strike, his enemies are going to hear about this and no one's going to be safe. And, and so what should he do? So he decides, I'm going to need some time to think about it. And right away we go, he's a wise man. Good job. Good plan. Don't respond right away. Think about it. And so, so what, what he does is he takes into account everything his dad told him, the book of Proverbs. Get some wise counsel. So he, he does. In verse 6, it says, Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon, his father, while he was yet alive, saying, How do you advise me to answer this people? Now, let's think about these folk for a minute. Remember what wise was. Wise is godly, biblically astute, and skilled, experienced. Now think about these guys. These guys reigned with Solomon. They're older people, so they probably reigned with Solomon for quite some time. Uh, these folk, uh, when Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs, he probably didn't actually write it. He transcribed it. He said it. These guys are the ones who wrote it out. These guys wrote out Ecclesiastes when Solomon quoted that one form. These guys wrote out the Song of Solomon and several of the Psalms. Uh, according to Deuteronomy 17, every morning the king is supposed to read from the law of God. Solomon is having a Bible study every morning with these guys. The Queen of Sheba, when she came to see this, she said, These guys are incredibly blessed to be able to stand in your presence. Solomon discipled these people. I mean, Solomon discipled these people. These guys are solid. They understand the law of God. They understand the word, word of God. They, they're, they're, they got the Bible thing going. Now, they've also got the skill experience thing going, right? They served with, with Solomon for many, many years. They saw Solomon's victories. They saw Solomon's faults. They understood the tension that was going on in the empire. They understood international affairs. They understood the economy. They, they knew the protocol. They knew how it was supposed to happen. These guys were skilled. 
And so we say right away to Rehoboam, oh, Rehoboam, you nailed it. Absolutely did the right thing. You went to get, found wise counsel. You got the wisest that you could possibly get. You got the information. You got what's needed. And so he says, what are we going to tell him? And so this is what the guys said. They said to him, if you will be a servant, you can like circle servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them. You know, you don't use the sandpaper here, Rehoboam. Time for the velvet. Then they will be your servants forever. They, 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 they understand something that Rehoboam doesn't understand yet. They understand that when Solomon became king, at his coronation, he goes to God. And he says, God, I'm looking at all your people. And you got a lot of them. And they've got complex stuff going on. And I don't know if I can lead them or govern them or serve them properly. So this is, he says, God, would you give me wisdom so that I can govern your people? So I can serve your people. Solomon is all about the people don't exist for me. I exist for the people. And so, so they, that's what the, the old guys tell them. They say, they say Rehoboam, you, you, these people, you're, you exist. Kingship exists that you might serve them. So make sure you communicate that you serve them and you got them. It's going to be good. But, 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 but he abandoned the counsel that the old man gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. He abandoned. He didn't even hear what the young guy said yet. He just abandoned. He knew what he wasn't going to do. That often, and it, he's talking to our hearts, because often when we seek counsel, we don't really want consultation, do we? We want confirmation. We've already figured out what we're going to do. We just got to find somebody to agree with us. We, we, we're going to go to the people we need to go to to get the answer we need to hear because we know what we want. We might not know what we need, but we know what we want, what we're going to do. And so uh, Rehoboam's issue is my issue. It's your issue because this is our propensity. No wise counsel or foolish counsel we're going to grab because we know what we want to do. Well, he said to them, these young guys, what do you advise me that we answer the people who have said to me, lighten the yoke that your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him said this. By the way, these young men, like 40 years old. This, he, he grew up with them and Rehoboam jumped in when he was about 40. So these are not little kids. Uh, but they weren't discipled by Solomon. They did not know the word of God like the older guys did. They did not have the skill of running the emperor. They did not know how to run an empire. But they said this, thus shall you shall speak to those people who have said to you, my father, your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus you shall say to them, my little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. And now whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. Actually, if we unpack this, you'd find that this is... Vulgar, in your face, hate. This is everything that the wise old guys said don't do. He did. He he took this counsel. So verse 12, so Jerry and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king said, come to me again the third day. And the king answered the people harshly. 
And forsaking the counsel that the old men had given him, he spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. Well, guess how this goes over. Well, when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered to the king, What portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, look to your house, David. There's some people killed. This is the split of Israel. From this point on, these guys take Jeroboam, the north, and they make Jeroboam their king. And Rehoboam stays king of, of the south. A lot of uh, money, a lot of cost, a lot of pain, a lot of... They could have... Rehoboam had a choice. He could have made a huge decision here that would have unified the people of God. Nah, wasn't going to go that route. I don't need to say, let me just mention this real quick. Uh, Rehoboam got himself in trouble, not because these guys were just older. Often in scripture, now you hear me, this just calls for some discernment, so you got to hear me. Often in scripture, older and wiser are equated. They, They are, but not always. We know of older people in this world. We know of older people who are just, just because you're chronologically older does not mean you're spiritually older, that you have spiritually matured. There can be all kinds of issues. We know that. Remember Job? He's got three friends come to him, Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar, and they give him counsel and they teach him. If they teach him wrongly, they misrepresent God. They misrepresent reality to Job. And then a young guy, Elihu, comes on. He's younger than those guys. And he answers correctly. Psalm 119, 99 and 100. It says straight up that I have more wisdom than the aged, right? I've got more wisdom than my teachers because I meditate on your word. It's that whole wisdom in scripture is that, that Bible, God understand, understanding the world through God's eyes thing and, and the, the skill deal. So it's not just because they were uh, older, but because they were godly biblically astute and skilled, and he decided he was going to go talk to his friends about it. Now, I can pick on the, the, the teenagers. I was a youth pastor for so many years. None of ours, because ours are all incredible. But there have been some in other places where I have, where I have served that I know of that you would hear stuff like this. You know what? The guy would go to his friends and say, guys, what do you think? Should I marry Jane or not? And they're like, well, absolutely. And he says, well, my parents think it's a stupid idea because we're only 17, they're saying. And they're saying, no, what do your parents know for crying out loud? That's old phone, you know. He said, listen, your love is, you've been together like three weeks now? Come on, it's real. Of course, you're going to make it. It's great. And so, yeah, all right. See, that's what I want to hear. But, but we can pick on the, on the younger people. But all of us, same thing, exact same thing. We know who to call to get the answer, to get the wisdom, to get the insight and counsel that we want to hear. And, and, and what, what he's, Solomon's saying to his kid, to us, is, is, is you, have, you have to. Too much is on the line. You, you have to get a multitude of wise counselors to make your decision. If we move forward about 100 years the king of the south, his name is Jehoshaphat. The king of the north, his name is Ahab. 
It says, now Jehoshaphat had great, this is Second Chronicles 18, 1. It says, now Jehoshaphat had great riches and honor, and he made an alliance with Ahab. He's trying to connect with Ahab, the north. After some years, he went down to Ahab in Samaria. That's the new capital of the north. It's Samaria and, and Jehoshaphat. You see this, the king of the south goes to see king of the north. They're related now by blood. They've been blood, but they're blood now for sure because he's got his daughter. And Ahab, king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Will you go with me to Ramath-Gilead? And he answered him, I am as you are, my people as your people. We will be with you in the war. You got this? Uh, Ahab's going to go to war against Syria. But he knows that Syria's got a big army, and he may just get clobbered, so he needs some help. So he's kind of trying to bring in the the armies of the south, and Jehoshaphat's more than happy to help with with that. But Jehoshaphat, see, he's he's a good king. He's a king in the south, and he, he, he knows the word of God. Multitude of counselors, right? So verse 4, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Inquire first for the word of the Lord. Well, then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, 400 men, and said to them, Shall we go to battle against Ramoth-Gilead, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for God will give it into the hand of the king. A multitude of counselors, 400 of them. There's a bunch of them. Problem is... Those guys are prophets of Baal. They are not godly counselors. And Jehoshaphat knows this. And so, yea, for Jehoshaphat, in the midst of a very hostile situation, verse 6, Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire? Come on, these are all prophets of Baal. I know you like prophets of Baal there, Ahab, but I, I'm, I need to hear a prophet from the Lord talk. And so he says this, and the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah the son of Imla, but I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. Well, maybe because the guy chased after Baal, but that's all right. And so, so they, they, they bring in Micaiah. They say, go get him. So they go get him. They bring in Micaiah. And, and uh, the, the chief guy who goes to get Micaiah says this to him. Says the messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets are with one accord and they're favorable to the king. So let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. Will you just, just this one time, Micaiah, just join the ranks. Just go ahead and speak like what you're supposed to. How about it? But Micaiah said... As the Lord lives, what my God says, that I will speak. This is what Jehoshaphat was after. So this is what happens. He gets into his conversation. After some little things they say, uh, he says this. Micaiah looks at the kings and he says, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master Let each return to his home in peace. He's saying that uh, Micaiah says, you really want to know what's going to happen? You, Ahab, are going to get killed. And your army is going to be scattered. They're going to be decimated. Meanwhile, all the 400 guys are saying, go for it, go for it. You can win this, go for it. And Micaiah says, no, you're going to get killed and it's going to be bad news. And and so so, (laughs) this is funny. Well, I guess maybe not to Micaiah. But the king of Israel said, seize Micaiah uh, and, and put this man in prison And feed him with meager rashings of bread and water until I return in peace. And Micaiah said, if you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, hear all you peoples. In other words, I want all you guys to hear what I'm saying when this comes true. Because then maybe you'll you'll shift your ways. 
Well, you're saying all over the place, yay, Jehoshaphat, yay, yay. You did the right thing. It was a good thing. It was a great thing. So you can't really understand the next verse at all because the next verse, it says, verse 28, so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. This is where the battle was going to be, and they fought it. Don't you wonder what's going through Jehoshaphat's mind? He knew he needed biblical counsel. He wasn't going to settle for otherwise. He got it. And then he wasn't going to listen to it. He did the other thing anyway. I don't know. Peer pressure was too great. I, I, think, I think this. No way of proving this, but I think this. If you look at the rest of jo- Josephat's life, Josephat's a pretty good guy. I think his motivation was right. I think he wanted to unite the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom and bring back the people of God to one group. I think that's what his, his goal was. I've seen this. I'm sure you all can tell some stories. People who... We're sincere. They meant right. And they knew what the right thing was to do. But, but this was the better thing to do. This, and because they meant right. That, that their sincerity trumped wisdom somehow. And, and their, their sincerity trumped obedience. And I just got to do. And see it's going to be good for God. And God knows my heart. And so God's going to. And God's going to. And sincerity does not trump. Uh, uh, wisdom. If you jump off the building and you're sincere, you're still going to hit the ground. It does not, sincerity does not, does not work that way. And so Solomon is telling his, his son, uh, you've got to be sincere. Being sincere is better than not sincere. We got that. But be wise. Be o- obedient. You can't blow off this principle of scripture. That when you're making decisions, you, you, you need to seek wise counsel. You cannot make that and, and, and have success and, and, and have safety and have victory. You just can't. And Rehoboam, the guy that you'd have thought would have got this, didn't get it. I just wonder about myself. I wonder about us because this is a very easy one. So rare is the person. So rare is the Christian who has a big decision. And knows what he might prefer, but goes after wise counsel and is willing to submit to wise counsel, even if it's against what they, they want. So rare is that person that Solomon says, if you're going to be king, you need that characteristic. If you're going to make the decisions that are about his kingdom, God's kingdom, not ours, you need that kind of mindset. I just real quick, I was trying to think, okay, how do you find those wise counselors? Let me just mention this. There is an incredible amount of corporate wisdom under this roof. FAC has got some incredible corporate wisdom God has placed here. Not a single one of us, not a, not a one of us works that way. But corporately, we are. There are people here who've gone through some very deep waters and yet their faith is intact. So much stuff that you would say, I don't know how you go through this and your faith holds and grows. You know what? We need to talk with those people. There are people here who've, who've faced some amazing temptations. There are people who are here who've had all kinds of financial or, or family collapse, but they've learned and they've, they've, they've grown and they have a wisdom that is, goes beyond. I have contacted over the last eight years folk under this roof for health questions. I, I don't know what to do. Or dental questions or eyesight 
questions or home repair questions because I'm not the most home repair sort of guy. Believe it or not, I've contacted people under this roof for Algebra 2 questions and for uh, writing questions and for big life decision questions and for devotional questions and for aging parent questions. We have got, I believe, the way his kingdom works, we have the corporate wisdom that we need, that you need here. But problem is, if we're not engaged, we don't know who to call. So let me just throw this out. In a couple of months, we're going to begin another launch of our life groups. Perhaps you're not in a life group. Let me encourage you. I've seen this so many times. The folk who end up being in your group are people that you need. People who need you. And even if you might not have the answer, and no one in there has the answer, you can bet someone in there knows somebody that probably does. Until then, let me just ask you this. Do you have any major decisions that are looming, that are uh, eating your lunch, and you're not sure what to do? Solomon says, "This is don't wait for your burning bush. Don't pray and pray and pray, and then just take that first feeling that comes along and say, well, that must be God. That's not what Solomon Wise counsel. Seek wise counsel. Submit to wise counsel, because he who has your ear, right, has your life. Would you pray with me? And as we pray, let me just ask you even now if there's a a big decision that's looming. In a a moment, uh, Linda and Nick are going to come out and they're going to just play quietly. If there's just this goal is just to be still before him and think through that. And if you don't know of any wise counsel, my guess is if you pray desperately for it, And you let God know that if he would give you that, you would submit your life to that. I think that's the kind of prayer he wants to answer. Lord, thank you for this morning that you've given to us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the wonderful counselor. Thank you that you've given us your your word. And thank you that you've given us each other as well. May we take advantage as we ought. Would you give us the discernment that we need? Would you give us the honesty with ourselves and may myself and these folk seek your kingdom first in the decisions we make. Lord, for the offering that we're about to receive too, may you use it to further your kingdom here and abroad in Jesus' name. Amen.